Hey guys, welcome to the Massive Iron Channel. I'm Steve Shaw. In this video, Faz and I are going to teach you how to sabotage your cutting diet, how to completely destroy it, obliterate it, ruin it, and stop all progress, maybe even stretch it out into a three-year adventure. Before we get into that topic, if you have any questions or comments, drop them down below. The best topic ideas we turn into videos just like this. All right, so I'm joined by Faz Lifts. You can find Faz Lifts. You happen to have your uh, logo right there on your on your sweatshirt, and I did as well, just not to be plus one by you or one up by you. Um, <laughs> you can find you on YouTube. Please follow Faz on YouTube and on Instagram at Faz Lips. And I've, Faz, I just got to say, I appreciate you joining me. I've been getting a lot of great feedback, and people want you on the channel more. So I'm just going to turn over the keys of the channel to you. All right. So, um, how to sabotage your cutting die? We were discussing this before we went live and i want to jump right in because we got a lot to talk talk about you mentioned uh appetite changes could you tell me a little bit about how that can sabotage a cutting diet right hey folks so yeah so appetite i found in my experience appetite is relatively unrelated to caloric intake caloric deficit now let me explain that that sounds counterproductive right counterintuitive but let me explain what i mean by that now you ever notice when you've come out of a diet phase right and you've reintroduced calories so your appetite just goes starts to go crazy yeah so you're actually on more food your appetite starts to ramp up it's a very normal natural phenomenon and sometimes when you cut calories to the bone your, your appetite just dies off this is all very well documented in the research as well so my point is that your appetite is not always correlative to what you should do. It's not an indicator of what you should be doing. And people tend to freak out about appetite. So they'll go on a diet, I'll put them on a plan, and they'll message back going, Faz, my appetite's died. What's going on? And they worry themselves. And due to the worry, they start to think about it all the time. Then they start to second guess their plan. And then before you know it, it just scares them. It's something that's going on in their body, which they've never really had before. Like, oh crap, Faz has got me eating a bunch of like vegetables and salad and lean protein. <laughs> I'm stuffed all the time. I couldn't possibly eat this. And so they get worried, even though that's something which should actually be um, a good thing. It should be embraced. Okay, I'm on a diet and I'm not hungry, but that's a good thing, right? But people tend to freak out about it. This is in my experience. So that's that's the first thing, Steve. Um, have you experienced that yourself? Yeah, I mean, I get client, uh, what you mentioned about clients coming off cutting diets and we'll start to uh, pull up their calories a little bit and you'll see them. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Where they, It was far more manageable on the cutting diet. So uh, I've seen that and uh, an over focus on appetite rather than what rather than the plan. Like, uh, you know, we're going to talk about this a little bit uh, in, here in a second, but a plan is something you evolve, a diet plan over time. And, uh, you know, what's going on right now with the calories, with the food choices, with uh, the scale, that's what we really have to focus on um, in an over-focus on appetite rather than, you know, just sticking to the plan, trusting the plan and being consistent with the plan. Uh, you know, I've, I'm on a cutting diet right now. I believe you are as well. Is that yep. correct? Mm -hmm. That's right. So I'm trying to get down to 210 pounds for my 100-mile run attempt. Uh, and, you know, the first three or four days of changing my diet, living hell. Just hungry, hungry, can't do this. Uh, yeah. lock, lock, me in a, lock me in a padded cell. 
But right now I'm down to 2,200 calories and I feel absolutely fine. I've made the dietary adjustments uh, and I have a head start over most people because I have 35 years of experience doing this. So I know what foods to eat, um, but I don't overfocus on appetite because I do know usually over time, my appetite actually uh, gets a little bit weaker on a cutting diet. Do you yeah. find the same thing? Absolutely. And I was exactly the same about four weeks ago when I started the cut. Um, immediately, hunger goes through the roof and I find it quite difficult, but I just ride it out because similar to yourself, Steve, I've got the experience to know that this is quite normal and natural. And I'll also add to this to people at home, your appetite will go up and down over the course of the diet as well. And that's okay not to let it freak you out. Like this week, so my appetite went down for about two or three weeks and just died. And it was the easiest diet ever. I thought, well, this is great. I could do this for life. <laughs> and so this week, appetite ramped up again. I really had a lot of cravings and it was quite difficult. But again, I just had that level of acceptance because I know that this is natural. This is normal. It doesn't mean I need to reevaluate the plan. It just means I need to navigate through this difficult period. I think people think, okay, look, if I've got a high appetite now, it's just, if I'm really struggling, it's just going to be like that forever. And this cut's going to be impossible. But that's a quick fire route towards sabotaging your cut. Just stick it out. If the plan is solid and you've been working with a good, reputable, you know, experienced coach, then you've got to just bear in mind, first point of call, your appetite is going to be variable. So don't, don't let it throw you off your plan. Yeah, and usually I find people tend to stumble the first three to five days because of the, the change in appetite where they're like, I can't possibly sustain this. Just oh, hold yeah. tight. You're not going to die, and things, things, will, things won't be ro roses and daisies, but uh, some, you'll have really good days some days and then days where you just uh, can't handle it. Uh, friends, I'm going to jump to the next point, freaking out over rapid weight loss. What do you, uh, what do you, what do you have to say on that? So this is a really unusual one, but um, I get this a lot. And it'll usually come when I've put somebody on some kind of eating plan, whether that's macro-based plan or a habit-based plan, whatever it is. And um, after the first week, they would have lost a lot of weight. So for an average size male, maybe they've lost something like five pounds. And for some people, you'd think, well, this is a cause for celebration, right? But some people will just freak themselves out and go, coach, I've lost like loads of weight and then they'll start to have these sort of creeping doubts in their mind because again, it's unusual. And I think, oh, I've lost lots of weight. This is freaking me out. Or they'll start to be, if they go to the gym a lot, they'll say, okay, I'm going to lose all my strength or I'm going to lose all my muscle when the reality is they don't have a great deal of muscle anyway. And it's just a losing a lot of water and glycogen, which, which they've had on because they've been eating freely over the last few months. So that tends to be another thing which tends to freak them out. And kind of relating back to the last point, the more that you think about this stuff, it becomes a self-perpetuating cycle of, of sort of negativity because the more it worries you, the more you think about the diet, the more that you think I'm on a diet and that has its own stress because every minute of the day, because you're worried, you're aware you're on a diet. And that's the last yeah. thing you want to do when you're on a diet. Just be thinking about the fact you're on a diet all day. You just want to get on with your life and just let the time pass. So it's another way these, these things are to freak people out. Yeah, I see the, the people that have the most success uh, that work with me are folks that trust the process, whether it's fat loss or whether it's muscle building, because mm -hmm. it's not simply get in the tube, follow the tube for eight weeks, you're done. Uh, you know, with muscle building coaching, it's get 
get down, strap yourself in, let's go for a year, mm -hmm. uh, see what happens. But on a cut these days, you know, it, it can go for quite a long time, just depending on the individual mm -hmm. and, um, you know, trusting the process. Uh, you might feel flat. You might feel glycogen depleted. You might feel mentally foggy. Uh, and all of a sudden you think, I'm going to lose all my muscle. I'm going to lose all my strength. I feel like crap. Something's wrong. We need to do something. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. When in reality, when you're with somebody like myself or Faz that have been doing this forever, we know what others do. We know what the natural bodybuilders do. We know what the enhanced bodybuilders do. We know what the fitness models do. You're on a plan that is wisely structured. It's going to get you to where you want to go. There's going to be speed bumps and adjustments required, obviously, but they're minor and trivial. And, uh, you know, I'm constantly comforting people saying, uh, don't worry about muscle loss. Even if you're, even if, if you're on a cut for six months, you lose a couple pounds of muscle, it's going to come back. You've already been there. Don't worry at all. Right. Yeah, for sure. And uh, just to kind of like piggyback off that point, my most successful clients always tend to be the ones who are the busiest, precisely because I think if they've got too much time on their hands, they end up getting a bit antsy about little things, and that makes them hyper-focus on the plan and start to question things. And then they start to have these little doubts, and ultimately that will start to unravel on your the mental stability required to execute a good plan. Yeah, it's a good point. So, Faz, I'm going to jump to the next one, and this is uh, this is a huge one, and it's it's really a source of aggravation at times, and that is eating back calories you burned on your Apple Watch or MyFitnessPal. Now, these can be great tools, but they can also be tools of mass destruction um, because um, – when like when I first started, I became aware of this fast. When I first started diving into the ultra running world, my watch would tell me I burned seventeen hundred and fifty three calories, and I can eat four thousand seven hundred and fifty three calories and not gain weight. And if I ate at that level, I would be a six hundred pound land mammal right now. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about that. What is up with like these cal these uh, you know my fitness pal Apple watch the calories they say you burned and also are inaccurate and also fast you don't get to add them to your calorie intake for the day can you touch on that yeah so first off I thought that was the goal I thought we were trying to burn calories to lose fat first of all that's what I thought the goal was but since this video is about sabotaging your cut then yeah eat, eat back those calories so. Firstly, I'll say this. Um, the calorie trackers, they tend to be based on extremely fit individuals. I've seen studies on this. Now, what they do is they, they base the calories burned on elite level runners for the most part. Now, ironically, it's precisely those level of people that can, one, burn the most calories, but two, they don't need the calorie burn because they are elite runners. So I think it's something like for, let's say... Well, for, let's say in an hour of really hard running for an elite athlete, I think it's something like 800 calories for roughly in circa that ballpark area. So that's what they base these figures on. However, for the regular guy like, like me, I'm terrible at running. I'd be lucky to burn half that, you know. And But the Apple Watch or Fitbit or whatever, they base it off these elite runners. And that's where we got the figures from. So that's the first thing. Um, 
typically those guys are very efficient at running and also they're very lean. So I think that's the second thing. So Steve, if you want to speak in your experience about body weight and how that affects, because you gave a great example when we were off air. I'm trying to remember the example now because we talked about so many things. Yeah, you, you said uh, you've got a, a guy who's who's relatively heavy on the books and he gets oh, yes, a lot yes. of calorie burn. Yes, uh, I, I, I'm working with an individual that is, um, you know, not for 400s, uh, weight doesn't matter, but uh, he was very proactive, uh, very motivated and got a gym membership. And uh, I, I look, <laughs> I, th- I think even last night he posted uh, – he was making fun of his Apple Watch because I told him he burned 1,700 calories at the gym and he could now eat 1,700 more calories. But his point of frustration is this gentleman's down to about 2,200 calories, 2,100 calories, and struggling to lose more than a couple pounds a week. So if he added that stuff back in, he'd be back at, uh, you know, back where he started. So, um, you know, for me, Faz, uh, when I was more active, um, and lifting for power lifting. And um, my workouts were very intense, an hour and a half, four to five times a week. And then on the weekends, I would hike approximately 10 miles. That was my form of cardio and conditioning. And I could eat 3,000 calories a day without gaining weight. Mm-hmm. Now I sit here all day long um, and I do run, but because I sit more, uh, you know, and I actually, I'm not lifting as intense as I used to. My metabolism uh, is probably 700 calories below where it used to be. And if I listened to the watches, I would, I would gain weight quickly. Yeah. So, you know, people, Faz, will look at um, will look at their calories burned, and they'll think, now I get to go out and and uh, and eat more to accommodate for this, and I'll still lose weight. But really, the reality is you should have been moving to begin with. Yeah. Um, most people are very sedentary. You should have been moving to begin with. So what you're doing now isn't hyper uh, – I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase this. What you, it's not hyper extreme. It's not super extreme. It's, it's a normal amount of movement. Uh, and because it's normal, you don't get to add in the calories to eat more. Exactly. So just if we just put some numbers on it to help people relate to this at home, let's say you've got an average sized guy who's um, relatively inactive. His maintenance is probably about 2000 calories. So they say he's not very big and not very far along, but he wants to do a bit of a cup. Now, if he does an hour of activity in the gym, his Apple watch may well say he's burned something like 600, 700, 800 calories. So he's gone all out or an hour and a half, let's say, which is relatively reasonable. Let's say he's done an hour workout. He's done a little bit of cardio afterwards. Great, burned 800 calories. Now, for that guy, his maintenance is 2,000. All of a sudden, his, his watch is saying, your maintenance right now for today is actually 2,800. Now, it would be an absolute disaster if he was to eat back all those calories because he has a very small margin for error anyway. For guys like, for, for like me and Steve, it's we perhaps it's a little bit of a different kettle of fish, certainly when we were in our primes, you know, um, with heavier and larger caloric intakes, but it makes all the more difference. And you often find it's the people who have the smaller metabolisms who actually struggle with weight loss. They tend to make this mistake over and over again. And it's precisely those people who can't afford to make the mistake because they have such a small margin for error when their Apple watch is telling them you've burned an extra 800 calories, go ahead and eat it back. So be very careful of that. And all I would say is 
pick a color calorie level um, and do your week or two of activity, do your week of charity living, monitor your weight, see what happened to it on that caloric level, and then adjust as you go along rather than try to adjust it day by day. This also feeds back into what we were saying earlier about if you're constantly recalculating your calories every single day, again, it's that diet on your brain all the time. You're thinking about it and that overthinking about things is just gonna make you painfully aware that you're always on a diet. Just try and put it to the back burner, let the process happen and evaluate every one or two weeks. And before we hop over to the next point, Fez, I uh, just want to stress one that you made and that for many people, there's a very small margin for error. Uh, a 50-year-old woman who is very sedentary, um, if she increases, if, just, if she walks just 20 minutes a day, it's going to make a difference. Um, you know, but if she pulls that back, it's also going to make a difference. So for this reason, it's very good to be on top of what you're eating in a cutting diet and not just track 80% of days. Mm. Um, Fast, we're going to move on to people believe starvation mode exists. Starvation. I'm, I'm entering starvation mode, Faz, and I'm actually not not burning any more, not losing any weight because I'm in starvation mode. What do you What do you have to say to that? I, I, it baffles me that this myth still perpetuates itself in 2021, that we are still here. But people still believe, for those who, who are listening and who are watching and don't know what this is, people still believe that if you eat too little, you cross a point where by eating so little, you actually start to gain weight because your body goes into starvation mode. This is absolute nonsense. This has never once been documented in any kind of literature, it never happens. In fact, we have proof to the contrary. Uh, we have the Minnesota starvation experiments where they did systematically starve a bunch of people and their body weights carried on going down. There was metabolic adaptation, but that is very different from saying you're going to gain weight on lower calories. Now, in terms of what actually happens, I think Steve and I would agree that what actually happens is most people are one, just really bad at counting calories right. and now this is not to trigger anyone this occurs right across the board and we've seen this in the research as well this occurs whether you're naturally fat you whether you're naturally skinny whatever everyone does it and the research that i've seen i've seen the difference can be as much as four times what you actually think is on your plate so they've given people a 300 calorie plate full of, of food and people have estimated that that plate contains anywhere from 300 to 1200 calories sorry i should say that the other way around right they give people a 1200 calorie plate of food and people have said it's anywhere as low as 300 calories so people tend to be really bad at estimating how many calories are in their food and you often see this with people the bottom line is they're not really tracking particularly accurately and that's often the cause of what they think is starvation mode yeah, you know, one of the biggest sources of frustration when you're coaching someone for fat loss is uh, just that the calories look okay on paper, weight is not moving, and you know there's a problem somewhere. Uh, I will ask for pictures of food just because, and sometimes people are like, oh, he doesn't believe me. It's not that I don't believe you. It's just that I have more experience and can say that's, like, for example, I had one gentleman not losing weight, and I started to have him send a picture of what he was eating, and uh, he sent a burrito, a picture of a wrapped burrito, 
And I couldn't gain, I couldn't really, that was his lunch. And I couldn't really understand. I had no context, no relational context as to the size of this. So I said, set it next to your arm. And he took a picture and it looked the size of his forearm. I'm like, that's not 600 calories. I don't yes. care what Chipotle says on the, that's the size of a baby. Yes. Uh, so that that's a, that's a big issue. Um, and you know, the, the starvation mode thing, uh, there's, there's always something, always something going on. Always. Yeah. Something going on. I would say that is probably one of the most difficult conversations to have as a coach when you have a client and who is really trying. So don't get Steve and I wrong. Right. It's not like clients are just trying to just go off plan. Like, they're genuinely trying. And it goes back to what we were saying about the um, maybe a smaller 50-year-old lady who doesn't have a very large margin for error. Oftentimes, these are people who have been trying, who probably had some success with losing weight, who have just hit a plateau, and they are giving it their all. The only problem is, because they have such a small margin for error, they are not being quite as accurate as they need to be. Maybe the difference is only a couple of hundred calories, but it's enough to put them at maintenance. And it's enough yeah. to stall the weight loss. It's a really, it's a really hard conversation to have because you're essentially saying to this person, "Look, you're still eating too much, even though they feel they're trying, and they they may well be emotional because there are a lot of emotional attachments towards food, weight, personal self worth. You're dealing with a lot of there are a lot of layers of that onion to unravel. Yeah. Um, so it's a particularly difficult conversation. Just understand that one starvation mode does not exist. Two, more than likely, a stock take of what you're eating, weigh everything out, be really stringent for about a week, no snacks, licks, bites, anything like that, just be really strict for about a week, work with your coach to get down to the root of the problem, understand that they're on your side, like that is probably the best way to handle things, but it is a difficult conversation uh, for both yeah. the coach and the client. Yeah, very much so, and uh, you know, we want to help, and um, you know, like you said, it's not a criticism, folks, we just have you know any good coach is going to have more experience and the burrito example i gave is like you know i'm i'm joking about it now but it was very you know it was a, it was a tool to educate the individual um you know when i look at uh, my fitness pal logs uh, of clients and yesterday i saw a piece of wheat toast and one uh tablespoon of peanut butter so they had peanut butter toast and and uh, I looked at my wife and I said, this is an example. I would wager a limb that the amount of peanut butter they used is more than they thought. Mm -hmm. So that's where it's good to have a second set of eyes. Yeah. Uh, so, Faz, this is a point that I brought up. Um, Over-reliance on processed food, we don't need to spend a lot of time on this. But if you do this, this uh, bounces back to what we just said. If you aren't weighing things or making things yourself, if you put it in the hands of other people, there's a good chance the calories aren't what you think they are. In the U.S., there's plenty of videos uh, on YouTube about this. People will get a bagel from here, a sandwich from there, and they'll have it uh, put through a calorimeter or whatever it's called. Uh, and uh, they'll find the average is about 25% calories over what they thought. Um, so the UK might have tighter regulations than the US, but bottom line, if you don't make it, uh, there's a really, really strong chance there's more calories in it than you think. 
Yeah, and that extends to my fitness pal as well, by the way, because people love to believe that they're eating a lot less than they actually are. So, yeah, uh, I think I think that's definitely one. I would also say on the on the argument with processed food, oftentimes the goal behind certain ultra processed food is to sell the item, is to make people eat more of it. Some a, a large portion of ultra processed foods, when we're speaking in generalities here can actually spike your appetite just by the combination of hyperpalatable food types like fat and sugar together. And for a lot of people, that tends to really spike their appetite, those delicious combinations of fat and sugar together. Um, so over-reliance on processed food, I think there's a double whammy there. One, like Steve said, you may well be 25% off in terms of your calories. Two, while it appears to be a treat which you can fit into your calories, and I'm all for that, just be aware that it may well set off a chain events where you are actually hungrier and you're going to find it harder to stick to the diet. I just offer that warning. Yeah, if you have a, uh, I mean, me, for example, when I nearly killed myself with food, I mean, I did not stop eating something until it was gone. Uh, and with ice cream, with chips, with pizza, um, you know, those things taste great. And if there's two pieces of pizza lying on your plate and it tastes amazing, uh, what, you, you know, what you just said, you're going to have a, you're probably going to eat that because you like the taste, the mouth pleasure, uh, and you might even be well beyond, uh, well beyond, uh, satiated. So, um, Faz, I'm going to skip to, uh, worrying about a perfect plan rather than from the get-go rather than a focus on dietary evolution you want to touch on that yeah so um, i had a question come through recently from a, a good friend of mine and he was stuck trying to find the exact number of carbs to start his cutting plan um i've had seen other questions from people over the years who have said how what calorie level do i start off with and um, which formula do i use do i use the catch mccardle formula all that kind of stuff. people get really stress to the point where they don't start a plan by trying to find the perfect plan. So they're actually delaying getting on the fat loss plan because they want to find the perfect plan. For me, that seems absolutely crazy because of this one very, very important reason that your ability to adapt your plan is far more indicative of success than your ability to then getting the perfect plan to begin with. Like, let's say you're on a fat loss kick. Um, like Steve and I are both on, on our fat loss kicks right now. Mine's going to be on for about 12 weeks leading to my birthday. Um, 12 weeks is a long time. Within those 12 weeks, there are probably going to be at least two or three adjustments, maybe more. My ability to adjust my plan to my body, that is far more indicative of success than getting the perfect plan. Like when I did my contest prep, a few years back, um, I couldn't tell you the calories and macros that I started with. It didn't matter. All that I remember was changing those calories and macros at every plateau, um, adding them back in towards the end, and the various changes and adjustments, that is far more valuable. And again, it, it's another one of the reasons why having a good coach who's experienced with this kind of stuff is really important because they can work with you to objectively make those changes. So, you know, one of the common questions we'll get in our DMs or messages or whatever is uh, how many calories should I be eating to lose weight? And I'll say, I have no idea. Well, I thought you were a coach. Well, I'm a coach, but not a wizard. And let me explain. 
Um, you can't go to a soccer coach and say, how many goals will I score this season, right? Uh, we have to kind of put together a team, a plan of action, make some strategy adjustments. How many home runs am I going to hit this year? I have no idea, but here's what we're going to do. Coaching is the same thing. What we need to do is uh, coaching is uh, evolution of, of a process, uh, whether it's fat loss or muscle building. And, and I say this all the time, Faz. If somebody gives you a workout plan, like a lot of these uh, muscle building coaches online, here's your one-size-all-fits workout plan. That's a to-do list. That's not coaching. And if somebody gives you the same thing with fat loss, that's not that's not coaching. That's some generic plan. What we need to do is start out the first five days. Usually I say five days because we're going to look at Monday and Friday. Everybody likes to start on Monday. Weigh yourself on Monday morning after you urinate. Let's keep calories consistent. We'll hop on the scale on Friday, and we'll just kind of – that'll be the start of the dance. We'll see did you remain consistent. Um, and, uh, <laughs> We have a we have a visitor on the uh, on, the, on the set. Yeah, um, we got to let you know the cats always got to let you know they're there. But yeah. it, it's from there you evolve you evolve uh, things um, to the point where the evolution can get quite complex. Moving ca uh, cardio from twenty to twenty five minutes a day, a small change, uh, reducing the amount of carbohydrates. Some clients really respond better to low carbohydrate diets. And struggle on higher carbohydrate uh, carbohydrate. Diet. I do. Yeah, I do as well. Mm -hmm. um, my weight loss is slow until I go to no. Uh, I say no grains. This will shock people, but if I go to meat and plant based foods, boom, it's gone. And it's I'm not the same way. To water weight either. So. Um, so uh, I, I think that's a really good point, and I just want to highlight that because I thought that last couple of minutes of what Steve said there was absolute genius. Um, really, <laughs> because um, oftentimes what people get are drawn to is simple messages. Now, don't get me wrong. I love simple messages. The problem is that just giving somebody a generic plan to say, do this, follow this, and just do that forever. Like that's not coaching and it's generally not helpful. And sadly, a lot of the clients who I get and who no doubt Steve gets generally are survivors from those types of approaches mm -hmm. they've exhausted those types of like quote unquote simple messages which are too simplistic and they try and just dumb things down but coaching uh, coaching as steve said which i i love this the way you phrase this was amazing coaching is evolution that is such a good way of phrasing it because that's exactly what it is that's what coaching should be the evolution of your plan over the course of the week's adaptation to um how your body responds that was genius Love that. Thanks. And, you know, I think some of my clients get sick of me asking, how was your hunger this week? Uh, how did that workout feel? How was this exercise? But th that's the meat and potatoes of what I do. Feedback, feedback, and feedback. Uh, one last thing to touch on, Faz, and we got a long video here, but it's uh, good information. So one one other thing, and this is, this is a great source of frustration for me, and I'm not sure if it's like it in the UK, but Every weekend is a celebration. Let's start with January 1st. It's New Year's, and January 2nd, it's the bowl games. And uh, January 23rd, it's the Super Bowl. And February 14th, it's Valentine's Day. And it just goes on. And then it's my birthday, and it just goes on and on and on. 
And celebration is a good thing, right? But when everything in life is a celebration, nothing in life is a celebration. And it this over obsession with party like it's 1999 every weekend, there has to be some set of rules, some form of regulation, because that style of eating, celebrations aside, is going to cause you to gain a massive amount of weight, even if you're not on a cutting diet. You want to touch on that, Fez? You know, I think that's a great point. I think you've, there's. I, I want to just expand this out into a, a sort of maybe like a side point here. There's always going to be an excuse to go off your plan. Now, the thing is, a lot of those excuses are valid excuses. Now, you think back to the last 18 months, the world has had the best excuse to go off the diet because gym's been closed down, right? Life, as we know it, has been closed down for the most part. Um entertainment apart from like food and tv has all been taken away from us right so like what we're saying is what i'm what i'm saying sorry is that excuses are oftentimes very very valid so it's not like we're saying you know the those are just like rubbish excuses like you know it's somebody's birthday party or whatever like sometimes excuses are genuine they're valid and they're the best reasons and in fact that's even worse because you've got yeah. to learn to live with those. Nobody would have predicted, you know, in 2019 that we were going to be, we're going to have the 2020 that we did have, but you've still got to manage it. There's no point in going, well, that's it. This has happened. That's phone pizza place. Uh, skip the gym. You've still got to get on with it. You've still got to stick to at least some semblance of a plan. So Steve get a great, a great example there of just birthday parties over, you know, littered on your calendar. But I'll also say that there are genuinely genuine things that happen we've had some of the worst genuine things that have happened over the last year which have taken away a lot of our freedoms and whatnot and have been devastating to the world as a whole um so you, as much as possible you've got to try and stick to uh, stick to your plan as, much, as best you can you know the old me would would celebrate everything all the time every weekend was a football game um, every every celebration was an excuse to uh, uh, self-abuse and really we have to look in the mirror and say, okay, I'm going to uh, my mother's birthday. Uh, is this about celebrating my mother's birthday or is this about how much food can I eat because it's a celebration day? Hmm. Uh, and, and it might not be about binge eating, or, but you know, it, for somebody on a cutting diet, you have to ask yourself, you know, like, should I just have a bite of the cake and just move on? Um, cause no one's really going to notice really. I mean, you might have one of those mothers that's like eat, 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 eat. But outside of that, no one really notices. And, uh, I, you really gotta, you really gotta prioritize and save the big celebrations for when they're warranted. And Faz, I'm going to end with this because I've seen it before and I find it very, very sad. And this is, you know, when we talk about cutting diets, we tend to associate them with getting super lean and six-pack abs, when in reality, in the obesity epidemic, the obesity era, most of it's just about getting to a healthier weight. And one of the sad things, and I'll just end with this, is when I see a couple going out to celebrate their wedding anniversary, 
and it's an excuse to overeat and overdrink so much to the point where they can't have comfortable adult relationship, you know, an adult relationship at the end of the night, you know, that's about celebrating food, not your anniversary. So you got to kind of process that. Any final thoughts, uh, Faz, before we hop off? Yeah, just to emphasize that point, just looking at it from the other's perspective, I mean, no one's saying don't enjoy yourself on, you know, having a celebration, but it's more a case of why, like Steve said, why are we there? Are we there to to smash the cake and the, and the chocolates or are we there to actually celebrate the event? And I think if you're honest with yourself, um, you can still enjoy the event and still partake without having this, without letting your inner fat kid go. And I should know, like inner fat kid's right there. So, right. yeah. Totally. Yeah, there. I mean, at the end of the day, my la- the last thing I'm going to say is a, a cutting diet should be short term. It should be there's going to be some speed bumps, but we got to look at it as a, a short term place where we pull back a little bit and then gain some control and re- return back to a more normal lifestyle. And in that during that time, we need to maybe make some hard choices, uh, but. If we do not, what happens a lot of times is diet fatigue. We can turn an eight-week cut, a 12-week cut, a six-month cut into something that's never going to end, and that is the biggest way to sabotage your cutting diet. So, uh, Faz, I appreciate you joining me. Again, you guys can check out Faz on YouTube and Instagram. I kept them on forever, and this is a long video, and uh, but I appreciate you joining me, Faz. And uh, if you want to have them back, drop a topic down below on anything you'd like Faz to talk about. Thanks again, Faz, and I'll talk to you soon. Take care, folks.